Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast with as much confidence in Boris Johnson as 148 Tory MPs. It's been a busy week in the world of British politics, and it's been pretty busy down here in the Not Enough Champagne bunker as well, which is why this week we are without Corey, uh, and you are instead left with yours truly anchoring the episode. Fortunately for you, and indeed for me, I'm joined by Luke John Davies, who's joining me to talk about the vocal confidence in Johnson's leadership uh, that happened this week. How are you doing, LJ? All good, all good, yes. Um, I am freed from sorting election expenses hell and uh, happy to sit and podcast for a change. The main focus of this episode is going to be on Boris Johnson's uh, leadership and the fact that there was a vote of no confidence in him held by the Tory uh, MPs. We'll talk about that, though, after this jaunty little theme tune. Vote of no confidence has happened. 148 MPs, uh, 148 Tory MPs, uh, have basically said we don't want Boris Johnson to be Tory leader and prime minister anymore. What, what, what's this all about? What's caused it? And wh- where, where does this leave us? Well, I think there's a series of different causes. I mean, the, the immediate thing that has brought stuff to a head is Sue Gray's report into the Partygate scandal. And... Um, and that is certainly seems to be the defining thing that seems to have broken Boris Johnson's spell amongst a large section of the general public. But I think it's actually broader than this one scandal. Um, now, that, I mean, that is a scandal that is of a different kind to the norm, if you like. You know, it's, it's not a sex scandal. It's not a, a sort of money scandal, which tends to be a normal thing. But... Um, it's one that looks at the moral fitness of the prime minister rather than necessarily one or two actions. And because of that, it's brought, it's brought about broader questions about him. And if you particularly looked at Jesse Norman's uh, letter, when it, which he made public, it, it, I think it mentioned Partygate in one or two sentences and just excoriated Johnson across the board. I think the other thing is that it's, this, this is a government with as big a majority, effectively, as Tony Blair had. What is its defining principle? What is it actually trying to do? It, it just seems to be drifting. And there's a lot of Tories who are going, we've got this giant majority, what are we doing with it? Yeah, absolutely. I think you've kind of nailed the, uh, well, hit the nail on the head there with, with both of those statements. And I think... Jesse Norman's uh, letter that he put out is very much kind of like the almost like the symbolic thing that you kind of need to read to get get to grips with why uh, this vote of no confidence happens because it's not just about Partygate though that is as you say almost like the the straw that broke the camel's back. It's about the fact that consistently throughout the entirety of Johnson's premiership, Conservative MPs have been sent out to defend the undefensible. 
and then in some cases literally 30 minutes later after they've been on uh you know uh, bbc radio 4's uh morning news or they've been on uh itv's news or, or whatever the government's done a u-turn ridiculously quickly because well of course they were going to because they were trying to defend the indefensible like you know marcus rashford's campaigns to feed uh feed kids during half terms uh during the pandemic multiple times this happened and every single time you know it was always seemed to be quasi quarteng as well um that seemed to get uh, get hit with it um I, I almost feel sorry for him almost um but they would send people out and then they'd be forced into an embarrassing u-turn and some in some cases damn near live on 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 television or on radio and so they're they're you the tory mps have seen this time and time and time again and so there's just been this undermining of 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 confidence in the in, in johnson's leadership and the government simply because as you say they don't know what they're doing and they don't have that defining mission or rather the defining mission that they have leveling up they're not actually prepared to commit to because in order to level things up you need to spend money but they don't want to spend money because well they're, they're conservatives and they are not they don't want to increase taxes in order to do it despite the fact that they have the highest levels of taxation basically ever it all just adds up into a, an absolute cluster wallace of just i suspect anger and depression from backbench mps and they are just left kind of banging their heads against the wall that they've got this majority and they can't do anything with it yep i think that's the case and but also i think well i think there's, there's a couple of sort of points to, to bring out i mean i I, want, I would make clear, Partygate was a horrific scandal. I mean, this is not just, it's not a man Hancock, you know, cheating on his wife. It's, it is, in a lot of ways, a lot worse than that. I mean, he, he parted on the graves of 179,000 people. The level of grotesque moral insult that, that Partygate is, 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 is above and beyond. But... As ever with the Conservatives, a lot of this comes back down to fairly ruthless and raw political calculations. And for for whatever reason, 59% of the Conservatives have calculated that they are better off politically by keeping it. Now, some of that is the kind of political alchemy of Boris Johnson in terms of sort of the Red Wall seats and and what have you. Um, And some of that, I think, is a bid to avoid some very, very difficult questions for the Conservative Party that are essentially what is the Conservative Party? I mean, as you say, they are now the highest taxing government since the Second World War, but they are committed small state party. Um, How do those two things mesh up? You know, what is, what, what does it mean to be a Conservative in 2022 is becoming an open question. And I think when you talk about levelling up as being the defining agenda for for this government, it's the defining campaign promise for this government. Um, You know, they're not governing, they're still campaigning. And you look at the levelling up bill that's come in, there's not really much new money at all. There's very little investment. You know, and what little money there is there, they're kind of going to different parts of the country and going bid for it, compete with each other, um, rather than sort of, you know, levelling up the whole country. Um, And I think that speaks to 
this this notion that what Boris Johnson is trying to to, to at least advertise the party as, if not necessarily turn the party into, is not what his MPs are or want to be. Yeah, and I think it, in many ways this is kind of indicative just of, of, of Johnson him, himself because when he was elected as leader um, of the Conservatives, he was elected on the notion that he was an election winner and that he'd be able to get them over the line, which, you know, he did. But as you say, there is no notion of there's no there's no there's no actual agenda behind what to do with anything with anything. I mean, it's it's one of the things where me and Corey on on previous episodes when we were talking about you know uh, the Barnard Castle kind of like trip that Dominic Cummings um, took and why on earth Johnson was going so strongly to bat for him and uh, and not just you know sending him packing. It was because Cummings was about the only thing that had any form of intellectual like spine within the government without him there there was nobody actually pushing for any real agenda and lo and behold ever since Cummings has not even but but it was even before he'd left like when he fell out of favor um everything really did start to just kind of massively slow down and you're you're just left with a series of headline grabbing initiatives that ultimately whenever you look down into the details just say we'll do all of this but with the money that's already been made available so it's just restating policy it's just maybe tweaking things around the edges a little bit um and as, as you say when it comes to things like leveling up which is the thing like michael gove like if you give michael gove the actual capacity to deliver something whether or not we agree with it as you know labor party members the dude will do will, will will deliver something, and that is actually quite meaningful. The fact that the leveling up white paper and the things that have been going through Parliament for it were so bad is massively indicative of just like the intellectual malaise that's kind of hit this government. Um, if you can't even make make Michael Gove, who is one of your one of the Tories' best people for getting things done, if even he can't save it, oof, you're you're screwed. Yeah, I mean, I mean, part of that is what what is levelling up, right? I mean, are we talking in infrastructure investment? Are we talking industrial strategy to move economies? Are we talking, uh, you know, free enterprise zones? Are we talking, um, you know, education investment? You know, what actually does levelling up mean? And and I think, <laughs> understatement of the century, Boris Johnson is not a details guy. <laughs> um He's not forensic. No, uh, uh, you know, he's not a a Bill Clinton type who, you know, will get in amongst the weeds of a policy. Um, But the... It it, it is a soundbite without anything sort of meaningful behind it, which is why, you know, if Michael Gove is sitting there, you know, Michael Gove does deliver for the Tories, um, unfortunately, um, but he doesn't know what he's trying to deliver. That's part of the problem. And I think the other the other sort of thing is that, you know, you've got to try and get stuff past the Treasury for a start. Um, and there's not a large number of people in the Conservative Party actually committed to this. I mean, what Johnson is or what Johnson's current iteration is, because he changes ideology as often as he changes wives, is not something that is traditional within the Conservative Party. Big state nationalism. 
um, the, the sort of you know it's closest to Gaulism, you know, um, in in France, and it's you know it's not Thatcherite because it's not um, getting the government out of the way. It's not you know privatization of this, that, and the other. Um, it's not you know Cameroon liberal compassionate conservatism. Although you know Johnson when he was mayor of London, that was the uh, his iteration then. It's not your kind of Britannia untrained libertarian vision of Brexit, you know, which is sort of characterized by deliberate insecurity, whereas sort of leveling up is talking about making people's lives more secure. It's not one nation Toryism. You know, all of these kind of individual different tribes within the Conservative Party are trying to fit their ideology or parts of it into Johnson's very loosely and foggily expressed vision and none of it quite fits together yeah and i think those 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 different kind of like competing versions of conservatism is something we'll come back to momentarily but before we kind of dive into that i I think we just need to kind of ask a very basic question here is obviously boris johnson has survived that vote of no confidence but is is this it? Is this the beginning of the end for Boris Johnson? There's two by-elections coming up um, later this month. Uh, one in Wakefield, one in Tiverton, and Honiton. There's a second yeah. half to the uh, there's a second half to the to the constituency name. I can never remember. One Wakefield going up against Labour uh, in Tiverton. The Tiverton is going uh, basically going up against the Lib Dems. Both of those are not looking great for the. Uh, 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 for the for the Tories right now, these could go very very badly for Johnson, but we are left in a situation where we've just had a vote of no confidence. Technically, he's got a year a year's grace now, but they can and will change the rules. I believe that's what they did with uh, with Theresa May. So, it, does does Johnson survive the year? I I think Johnson does survive the year in a very wounded way. I think what's there's, there's a couple of things that he's got going for him in his favour. One is that the Tories are ruthless, but they're not stupid. They know that if they change the rules at this stage um, so that they could have another vote in their confidence in him in the future, and that I suspect that, you know, the Tories, that there's some clever people in the Conservative Party and they are aware that what's coming is a bloodbath, as we'll get on to. Um, and endless rounds of tit-for-tat no confidence votes is possible. You know, they've got this 12-month grace period for a reason to try and draw a line under things and to avoid washing dirty laundry in public as much as possible, which the Conservatives are far, far better at doing than any of the other British political parties. So I don't see them necessarily changing the rules. I see them potentially using the threat of that against Johnson, but I'm I don't think that it is something that they will necessarily follow through with. So he's got that going in his favour. You know, he does now have a 12-month grace period. I think he benefits from the fact that this was not an organised coup. This was not a section of the Conservative Parliamentary Party organising on behalf of somebody else, the way Heseltine did with Thatcher. You know, you had rebels as buried as Tobias Elwood's Tom Tugan hat on one side and you know Steve Baker on the other. They are not coordinating between them, bluntly. They're just not. It's not organized. They cross the threshold almost by accident. 
as a kind of organic um, outpouring from of despair from various parts of the party. So there's nobody necessarily to challenge him. So I think he's got that in his favour as well. I don't see an obvious path forward for the Conservatives without him. Because of all of that, I think he will probably survive the next 12 months. I, I think I'm generally in agreement with you, but I, what, what I would say is there is probably one path left to get rid of him, which doesn't necessarily require, you know, following the rules necessarily. And it's effectively just a coup within the cabinet. Like, you know, enough of the cabinet turn around and basically say, we are not prepared to serve under you anymore. You 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 stand down or we are all going to walk and you will not be able to actively govern. That, however, requires the cabinet to have a spine and not be yes men for Boris Johnson. So I don't see that happening, given when you look at the cabinet that exists and the people that are in it. It is. And you look at the, you know, Nadine Dorries, George Eustace, Jacob Rees-Mogg, under any competent Conservative Party leader, they are backbenchers at best. Um, you know, they're fully aware that if Johnson goes, their ministerial salaries and cars and so on go with him. I think the, the other thing is that the Conservative Party, as Heseltine found out, are aware that, you know, he who wields the knife does not wear the crown. Um, so those within the uh, the cabinet who are looking at being his successor are reticent to be... Even Jeremy Hunt, you know, you, even it didn't... It wasn't until kind of halfway through the morning of the day of the confidence vote that he actually came out and sort of said, yeah, vote confident, you know, vote against Johnson and so on. Um, he was incredibly keen to be seen that he was not the one causing this. If the balloon goes up, well, I'll take advantage, but he was keen to be seen as the one who, not the one who sent the balloon up. Again, I don't see how, where that would come from within the cabinet. I don't see what, who, which ringleader is the one ringing around their cabinet colleagues saying, this is what we should do. Yeah, indeed. And, and I think this is where you, you come into another kind of situation. Obviously, we've just said, does he survive the year? Does he survive 12 months? The reality is, if, if, if he survives 12 months, because there is no alternative from the Conservatives' perspective, we're now deep into 2023. Are you actually going to bother changing your leadership then, given you're probably still going to be struggling in the polls and whoever ends up taking over from him probably then just goes on to lose the next general election anyway. So if you are Sunak, Truss, Tugendhat, I don't know, Ben Wallace, whoever it might be, would you really want to push that button there and then? Probably not. You probably just wait for wait until after a general election. At which point the 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 the, uh, the Tories are basically through this vote potentially made it so that they have lost the next the, the, the next general election by by backing him here and now. Yeah, and I think, you know, again, if this had been organised, we'd be seeing it happening in a couple of weeks' time after the by-elections when that kind yep. of point is hammered home because, you know, those by-elections are... I mean, the way it's come about is, 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 is fate or, or kismet or what have you, but um, it's a perfect illustration because on the same day, on the anniversary of the Brexit vote and all the rest of it, you've got a Labour-facing Red Wall by-election and a, a Lib Dem-facing South West election. Whether this holds true in a general election, we don't know. Um, but there is a lot of question marks over Southern Lib Dem 
Tory switch voters because they almost need permission from whoever is the permission around whoever is the Labour leader to switch to the Lib Dems. You know, when it was Tony Blair, they were very comfortable switching to the Lib Dems because they were quite comfortable with Tony Blair going into number 10. When it was Jeremy Corbyn, they weren't. And, you know, those Lib Dem Tory switchers in the South preferred Brexit to a Corbyn premiership. Keir Starmer seems to be someone that Lib Dem voters to the present date are comfortable enough with that they will vote Lib Dem. Now, at the moment, that is the case in by-elections, in the full knowledge that if you elect a Lib Dem, a 79-seat majority and an 80-seat majority are not actually functionally any different. Whether that is the case when it is a general election and the government of the day is to be decided remains to be seen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this kind of gets us into, um, you know, whenever you start talking about kind of the future for uh, the Conservative Party right now, you are talking about who is their next leader going to be and when does that happen? Because that fundamentally, I think you are now at the point where this is the beginning of the end for Boris Johnson. Um, And as a result, all eyes turn to the future. But as we've said, there's too many factions that have too many differing visions of what uh, conservatism is. And in many ways, they are quite contradictory. So you're left with no one being able to build an actual coalition within amongst MPs. You're left with probably people struggling to build a coalition amongst the Tory party members as well to actually um, uh, build enough of a, of, of a base to actually make a challenge of any sort. So when you have that situation there, it becomes a very difficult game of, well, when do they act? And two, who should act? and what, who is actually going to benefit from it in the long run. So I think we'll end doing you know, one of those things which we, we normally don't like to do, but it feels appropriate here, which is with some predictions. Or at the very least, kind of like our thoughts on, if you had £10 right now to put on to a Conservative MP to be the next leader of the Conservative Party, who would it be? So this is the thing that I genuinely don't know. Now... What's so let, let me kind of go through the context and the process here, right? So either Boris Johnson is forced out, resigns, leaves office in some way. Um, the process the Conservatives have is a vote or a series of knockout votes amongst the parliamentary Conservative Party until you have two candidates who are then put to the party membership. Now, in many cases, like with Theresa May against Andrew Edson and so on. Um, the, the men in grey suits gather around and, and one candidate is persuaded to withdraw. So what you've got to sort of consider is who wins two different elections and two different elections that are not necessarily complementary to each other. This then comes down to the different views of what conservatism is. This, this next leadership election with the Conservatives is going to define what it means to be a Conservative in the early 21st century. And that is going to be a bloodbath. I mean, we already saw this, these attacks from Nadine Dorries on Jeremy Hunt. Now, if Jeremy Hunt, who's been talked about as you know, possibly the most likely next leader of the Conservative Party, I mean, 
the Labour attack lines write themselves now. Even your own party thinks that the NHS was unprepared for the pandemic because of you. Um, so, so, you know, does that disqualify Hunt? Quite possibly. Um, Sunak has gone from dishy-rishy to fishy-rishy. You know, he's now seen as completely out of touch, as completely disingenuous with things like the, the Kia Rio and, this, you know, not knowing how to use a, a pin machine. Um, you know, and he's sort of out of the running, really. Um, this trust, I mean, cosplay and Thatcher, there's genuine, you know, I can't remember, it might have been Robert Peston's Twitter feed. I read somewhere that supporters of Liz Trust are encouraging Pretty Patel to get into the race so that Trust doesn't look like the lunatic. You, you know, and then you're, you've then kind of got the kind of anti-Johnson, if you like, the Tom Tugan hat type figure. And Tom Tugan is a fantastic parliamentarian. You know, he, he's an, a genuine, serious human being with a very good skill set, particular expertise in obviously defence and foreign affairs, which are two things which are top of the radar at the moment because of Ukraine. But is he going to get past the membership? You know, I really would really struggle with where to put my 10 quid. I think my, my, my gut instinct is this, is that the Conservatives like a dark horse. They'll want somebody that's potentially unifying in, 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 some, in some regard, which I think means you probably do end up in a, a situation where somebody like Ben Wallace or maybe Penny Morden is able to kind of get, get through the middle, simply because... And maybe this is just my ignorance on the matter, but I could not tell you, broadly speaking, where they fit into the actual, like, you know, uh, ideological hierarchy of the Conservative Party. They're just kind of there. But they've both got, like, Wallace has had a very good war. That's the sort of thing where if they wanted a unity candidate, they could rally around that sort of thing because it becomes almost like a rally around the flag effect for, for them. Mordant as well, because she's just somebody that's been talked about for so long, seemingly. And it's always been like just on the cusp of breaking through in some form. And I always feel like she's been promoted into the cabinet and then removed out of the cabinet and things like that. Largely because she's probably actually one of the more competent in some ways, kind of like Tories and a lot of and under the Theresa May in particular and under Boris Johnson. They were just like going, looking at her and kind of going, oh no, she could be a threat. Mm. And as such, she ends up kind of being swept aside if she has a good showing a good speech of some sort i could easily see momentum building up her up through her and also it just it's yet yet another kind of thing for the tourists to say look we've chosen another woman labor still haven't had one genuinely um given the way that the tory mps were talking about like theresa may and have been kind of like saying things about liz trusts in in in, in the past the fact that morden is physically attractive also works in her favour uh, as well amongst a certain type of Tory MP, I think. Um, yeah, and I mean, the other thing you've, you've got is that, you know, these divisions are starting to surface into the public domain and are not going to disappear during a leadership campaign or even after a change of leader. You know, does Nadine Dorries sit quietly on the backbenches and play like a good, uh, you know, a good little backbencher if Jeremy Hunt is the next leader? No, of course not. You know, vice versa, does... Uh, you know, Tom Tugendhat or Jeremy Hunt just keep quiet and carry on if it's Liz Truss or Pretty Patel or, you know, um, and if you have one of these unifying figures, a Penny Morden or a Ben Wallace or so on, 
both are still going to be competing and taking lumps out of each other to try and drive the, the conservative party in their own ideological direction. Um, you know, I think it is entirely possible, not guaranteed, because the conservatives are extremely good at getting the band back together in order to hold on to their grip of power. Um, but it is entirely possible that conservatives are about to descend into the kind of infighting that's characterised the Labour Party under Corbyn. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think on that kind of what to me is a, a note of hope that the conservatives might actually, you know, you know, just start turning it on themselves. That's 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 something I can I can wish for and might someday come true. On that note of optimism, for once, we'll end the uh, end the episode uh, uh, there. Uh, if you want to find out more about uh, Not Enough Champagne, you can head over to our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Not Enough Champagne, where for a few pounds every month, you can get uh, access to unique episodes, early access to episodes, unique blog content, all kinds of fun and games um, are available over there. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, uh, you can, we are at no champagne pod. We are on Facebook on facebook.com slash not enough champagne. James Cran designed our logo. Our theme tune is plucky good times by Dave Depper. I'm Steve Haynes on at acoustic radical on Twitter. LJ. I'm uh, John Davies. My Twitter handle is LJD labor. Uh, and with that, hopefully next week, Corey will be back, but until then happy plotting. <laughs>